Previously on Solve the World. You see St. Denise here? Of course, Jen politely replied. Do you think he exists if nobody sees him? What do you mean? If he were alone, running through the streets, and there was no one in the world around to hear or see him, would he exist? Of course he would, silly. Why do you say that? Because he's real. How do you know? Because I can see him. I can hear him. What you're seeing and hearing is a movie starring St. Denise. Excuse me? Your brain accepts the external stimulus of a man with head and hands, words screaming, and translates that into a series of ideas that you compute as a story. So, you're saying there's a step between reality and perception? Oh, it's much more than a step. It's an unterrible veil. We can never, ever truly pull away the curtain to see what or who is behind it. Solve the World, a fictional adventure told in 100 episodes. That's when my life got complicated. Episode 64, The Address. Some will see the message as a video on YouTube, others as an evening special on their TV. Most, however, will only hear the words. The address is sound out on all radio channels. The visuals aren't that exciting anyway. It's her words that make the difference. Hello, I'm Jennifer Dash. This has been the most incredible year that we human beings have ever endured. The largest metropolitan cities on Earth are gone. Nearly a fifth of the world's population has died from the lonely plague. Guys, this is our new reality. For many of you, I am a vision of hope. But I also know that for others, I am a sign of the times. And the times are terrible. So... I don't blame you if you hate me. If you have family in Texas, you might have directly suffered loss because of me. I'm sorry. I'm terribly sorry. Here's the truth, plain and simple. I can't be your signal. I can't be your hope. And I can't be your hate. I'm just a girl. I'm 18 years old. I was born and raised in a small town in Louisiana. I know. I don't have the typical southern accent. Blame my parents for that one. Yes, I've seen some strange things this past year. I've been involved in remarkable adventures. But I need you to hear me say this. I'm just a teenager, okay? Just a girl. I'm no different than your scared daughter, your stubborn big sis, your less-than-responsible niece. I'm these things because I'm just normal. Some of you think I'm special. I'm not. I don't have special powers. I'm not related to Superman or Batman or, or any other superhero you can think of. I'm also not religious. There are reports out there that I'm a part of a cult or something. 
that's not true, okay? I, I don't practice witchcraft. I don't do voodoo. I don't cast spells. I don't lay hands on people for healing. I am not special. Some of you believe that because I knew Lilith Babbitt, I know how she did what she did. There are these rumors, videos, reports, what have you, that I somehow crossed a hypersonic field to meet Mrs. Babbitt after visiting the Kaaba and Mecca. These reports are false. Okay, I'm, I'm just a girl, just like your daughter. While I have this opportunity, though, I want to apologize and share my condolences with the friends and families of those who were murdered, particularly in the First Baptist Massacre, as well as those who died in the bus attack four weeks ago. I know that even though I had no intention of putting anyone in danger, none, I bear some degree of responsibility for those deaths and those left behind. From the bottom of my heart, I'm sorry. I'd also like to... For those of you who can't see, Jen tears up here. Uh, I'd also like to say I'm sorry to the Margaret family, their daughter. Marianne was with me. She, she saved my life. Many times. Mr. Margaret. Mrs. Margaret. I'm sorry. Your daughter is gone. Marianne gave her life for mine. I'm so sorry. Jen pushed away her tears, cleared her throat, resumed eye contact with the camera, and continued. It's December now. A new year is upon us. If I could make one wish for the new year, it would be that all the horror of the past 12 months could be erased. I mean that. I'm sure you feel the same. I want, and I know you want, the new year to truly be... new. We want to be done with the old, and maybe, more than anything else, we want a fresh start. But how do you start fresh when the whole world's gone bananas? I said I'm not special. I'm not gonna change my tune on that. However, I'm sure you can understand, for whatever reason, I've become important. And it's it's not me. I don't say that to boast. Not at all. I'm not speaking to you today to flash my peacock feathers, to push my chest out with self-pride. That's not why I'm here. That's not my message. I'm important because I've reached a level of... of... of apocalyptical celebrity, to coin a phrase. That's why you're listening or watching me today, right? I told you just a moment ago not to hope in me. But I'd like to show you where my hope is. Maybe we can hope together. I'm speaking to you from the island country of Tonga. When I first came here, one of the scientists who works here asked me a question. She said, Jennifer... What if all your pain and suffering could be undone? I replied, You're crazy. Live in the real world. But friends, I've come to share her hope. Now I find myself asking the same question. What if all our pain, all our suffering, what if, really, 
What if it could be undone? I'm not talking magic. This isn't voodoo. This isn't prayer. In fact, if you said that there's no way on earth that your pain, your mourning, your loss could be taken away, I'd agree with you. There's absolutely no way on earth. Joanna de Tocqueville, she's the lead scientist here on Tonga. She gave me a tour recently of the satellite dish they've built at the top of this island. As you can see behind me, it's massive. It's also, in its own way, beautiful, gorgeous. If a person stares at it in the heat of the day without wearing sunglasses, that person will go blind in under 10 seconds. Can you believe that? It's that bright. You see, it's bright because the concave shell is mostly compiled of 800,000 synthetic mirrors. I say synthetic because it's a little more complicated than your just garden variety mirror. The composition of the satellite dish has been explained to me several times now, but uh, heavens to Betsy, I can't regurgitate that info for you. If you'd like a detailed description of the hardware of the disc, you can call the automated line 097-505-999-001 to receive all the juicy details. Again, that number, 097-505-999-001. The folks here at SETI Operations Tonga geek out on all this stuff, okay? And let me tell you, they are excited to share the gooey specifics with whomever would like to know them. I'm I'm just not the person to talk to about that. I don't know. As big and as awe-inspiring as this dish is, can you believe it's just a prototype? With your help, the dish behind me will be deconstructed. Its parts used for a bigger mission. More on that and how you can get involved in a moment. First, I want to get back to our main question. What if all our pain this past year could be undone? What would that mean for you? For me, it would mean my best friend from back home wouldn't have died of the plague. It means my friends in California would still be alive because the bombs would never have gone off. It means also that I wouldn't have to have this hand, a limb generously donated and stitched onto my own amputated arm. For those watching the program, a close-up on Jen's raised hand is shown, revealing some pretty gross surgery scars along the wrist. What would you do if you could get back all you lost? What would you do with a second chance? What could humanity do with a reset? A plot of space, approximately 190 light years away, is special. Scientists here and elsewhere have pinpointed this block of space because it behaves like nowhere else. The best astronomers working for SETI estimate that this fragment in deep space has an 89.4% likelihood of being what us normal sci-fi geeks refer to as a wormhole. Friends, we don't have 190 years. Another year like the one we just endured, and we're done for. But what if, somewhere in the vast reaches of space, help was waiting? We don't yet understand wormholes fully, but here's what we do know. Time friends, is a variable. Perform any basic physics problem and you'll find time locked somewhere in the code, somewhere in the equation, every single time. We, 
as creatures, are somehow built to experience time linearly, meaning the sun rises, the sun sets, the first day. Seeing time like a vector on a line graph helps us evaluate our lives and gives practical meaning to the everyday decisions we make. To say it as simply as the SETI scientist explained it to me, we see time like a straight arrow because that helps us function in our lives. But, and this is a big but, as so often is the case, our perception of reality isn't correct. Take, for instance, color. We see a red apple and we say, that apple is red, but it's not, is it? What that apple is, in reality, is everything but red. It absorbs all color but redness. The one thing it most certainly isn't is the very thing we associate with it. Isn't that fascinating? When I first heard that, it like blew my mind. You see, just as we misinterpret color, we misinterpret time. It isn't linear. It's not a straight arrow. At least, it doesn't have to be. Smarter people than me have told me that if given enough time, Jen winks while saying the word time here, as long as the rate of scientific advancement continues at the current pace, the enigma of time's arrow could be solved in about 70 years. That's not that long. 70 years and we could have it all figured out? Great! We could press reverse on our lives just like a video. We could pause the action. We could, in theory, live forever. Because we'd no longer be slaves to time, guys. No more wrinkles. No more pain. Anything, everything could be undone. But, another big but, here's the problem. We don't have 70 years anymore. You know this. I know this. Right now, Earth's clock is ticking. We're blowing each other up and blowing our chance for redemption. Look out at the night sky. Look at the stars. There's so many. We've only been able to look up at the sky with powerful eyes for, like, less than 20 years. And you know what we found? Up there? Hope. A lot of it. Astronomers at SETI and elsewhere have already discovered 36,000 Earth-like planets. 36,000. Currently, we don't have strong enough eyes to see into those planets, to see if they have skyscrapers and great walls of China and, well, human stuff. We can't see that. But do you really think that all 36,000 are barren? Beyond that, we can't see the end of space. For all we know, it could go on forever. Forever and ever and ever. But based on the overarching pull of gravity, we think... We admit we're not sure here, but we think... We are somewhere quite very far from the center of the universe. The center of the universe is where the Big Bang started. So... And I apologize for getting technical here. Things that are farther away from the center have taken longer to travel and longer to form. It stands to reason, then, that our Earth, being relatively far, far, far from the center of the universe, our Earth, then, should be young. Comparatively. That makes you think about those planets that are maybe a little closer to the center, doesn't it? Old Earths. Old worlds. If some Earth is older than ours, then couldn't it, shouldn't it, also be more advanced? If we're just 70 years away from conquering time, how far advanced is a planet that's 2 billion years ahead of ours? What does 2 billion years of advancement look like? We don't know, and frankly, we can't imagine. 
I said 36,000 Earth-like planets. That's just the number we've found so far. There is, in all probability, 100 times that amount. That would make for 3.6 million Earth-like planets. Even that's probably not enough. Not hardly. Renowned astrophysicist Arthur Frinderlichte, tough word to say, right? <laughs> has projected that there is likely somewhere between 20 and 200 billion Earth-like planets in the universe. Billion? Do you really think that none of those planets have advanced civilizations? Think about it, that's like 20 planets for each person living before the plague, before the bombs. Every person could get 20 planets, maybe more. Isn't that amazing? All we need is for just one of those 200 billion Earth-like planets to be advanced. To be 70 years more advanced than us. You see, that's where this wormhole comes into play. We think that wormholes are, are something like radio waves. They're the interstellar equivalent of an interstate freeway. We need a light to shine into the darkness. We need our message to reach the wormhole. Once through, once into the wormhole, any other intelligent life that is using that causeway, is using that interstate, will see our message. Maybe they'll pick it up. We're looking for a good Samaritan. We're asking for their help. We're hoping they'll undo what's been done. Every civilization reaches an extinction point in its development. Evolution, survival of the fittest, tends to work out so that offensive weapons develop at a quicker pace than defensive weapons. What does that mean? That means that as a civilization, our ability to murder ourselves has advanced quicker than our ability to save ourselves. This is not a railing moral judgment, as some have dared to conject. No, this is quite normal. This is how life works. Older, advanced civilizations will know this. They too, most assuredly, on their own homes, transition through this torturous time period like the one we're currently in, where the bad guys and the offensive weaponry prospered. But, and maybe this is the biggest but of all, those civilizations found a defense, maybe within themselves or maybe from without. How many times has this process been repeated? Perhaps we're not nearly the first. Perhaps we're the 200th billionth planet to reach out, to ask for help, to ask for control of time. I know, I know, maybe your head's spinning, we've been talking these big gelatinous ideas. Let's be practical, okay? Here's what SETI is doing. It's launching a satellite, the most advanced satellite in human history, into space. That satellite will direct all its energy towards the wormhole. It'll send information into that wormhole. Yes, it'll take 190 light years to get there. We'll be long done in by our own failures by then. But once the message is received, the answer will undo all the harm. Everything. In our message, we're asking the alien life forms for the tools to travel back to the year 2000. Long before the lonely plague struck. Long before the nuclear holocaust. We're also sending code along with the message. 
certain codes that astronomers at SETI will be able to interpret precisely in the past. In layman's speak, we're sending a roadmap back to the scientists of the year 2000 so that they can avoid the pitfalls we've so awfully mired ourselves in. Does this sound like hogwash? I don't blame you if you think it does. I don't blame you if you don't believe me. Sometimes I find it hard too. But on the next night that has a clear sky, look up at the stars. Wonder at them. Then, look down on our Earth, read a newspaper. This is our last chance, guys. We can't save ourselves. We've gone too far. Too much damage has been done. Our only hope, our hope beyond hope, is to send out an SOS. SETI has the tools. Okay, here's the fun part. You can get involved. Three things are needed. Money, food, manpower. The first is easy. If you have access to the internet, you can easily make a direct deposit to SETI operations. Every cent will go to the building of this ultimate satellite and the aircraft which will help propel it into outer space. Food. SETI is not naive. If we were to announce to the world that we're building this thing here on Tonga, you'd better believe a nuclear missile would be headed our way before we turned the lights off tonight. Now, much like the United States is thus far successful on Mo Center, we are building our satellite at a top-secret location. So secret, in fact, that we can't afford to buy local produce. Therefore, we need non-perishable goods. We're currently assembling non-perishable food bins in cities throughout the world. Give us your old cans of beans, your bags of dried peaches, your packages of pasta. Lastly, we need physical labor. We'll be honest with you up front. We haven't figured out the logistics of how to get you to us safely. So, we can't announce any game plan today. Just please, look for future messages from SETI to help get you to us. Be on guard. Be vigilant. You. Your very mind and body could be used to build the one machine that could save not just mankind, but all life on Earth. Thank you for hearing me out. I'm Jennifer Dash. I'm hoping this message today reaches you well. And I hope, oh, <laughs> how I hope, that you help us save our planet before it's too late. Thank you. Jennifer Dash, out. Okay, that's a wrap, one of the cameramen announced. The cameras flicked off. Jen walked off her stage where she had been standing in front of a green screen for the duration of the message. There was not going to be a second take. Jen nailed it on the first go, read the teleprompter like a champ. You did great, Joe the Spartan beamed from behind the cameras. Thank you. It was a good speech you wrote for me, Jen said. Oh, I didn't write it. I had my people work on that for us. And, I believe, your Esau fellow was pivotal. Esau? Yes, as soon as he got here, he asked how he could help. We had him sweat in the writer's room this whole time. He's earned his ticket. Just like you. Now go. Wash off all that makeup, especially your scar work, and we'll meet you downstairs. Jen took a moment to look at her hand. It looks really real. I almost forgot it's fake. You guys did a great job. Like everything else, makeup is a science. Joe smiled. Less than an hour later, Jen and Esau were jettisoned off of the island nation of Tonga. 
This time, their flight to Smugley's Christchurch, New Zealand, would not be interrupted. Hey guys, I am Dante Stack, and all the sound effects and music you heard in this episode and every other episode of Solve the World can be found and attributed on our show notes page at DanteStack.com. Hey, I want to give a shout out to everyone who's been producing fan art and writing blog entries for Solve the World in the last couple weeks. Uh, It's really helped us get more attention from new listeners, and I think it helps everyone buy into the mythos a little bit. It's certainly fun for me to read and review and look at, see how people are imagining the story unfold in their minds. So thank you for doing that. You're helping Solve the World grow, and I can't thank you enough for that. Along those lines, something I haven't, you know, talked about in a while at the end of these episodes is simple iTunes reviews. Or for that matter, if you listen on Podcast Attic or Stitcher or wherever you listen to Solve the World, write a review for me. Doesn't take you long at all, and that's a great way to let iTunes and Stitcher and Podcast Addict know that Solve the World is a vibrant community. And so it helps them put us higher in rankings where more eyeballs will potentially see us and therefore we'll get more listeners. So when you're trying to get people to be on the Will, Jen, and Miles be together party, well, if there's more listeners, then maybe you'll have more comrades in arms. You might also have more Atticus and Jen people fighting you, but it's all fun and games, right? (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) 